This is Michael P. Ryan. You're listening to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Bobcast. We're live on YouTube, and we're live on Facebook. This is incredible. How did this happen? We're live on both YouTube and Facebook simultaneously. Are we really live on on YouTube as well? Because we couldn't get Zoom to stream to YouTube, but we were able to get OBS, Open Broadcast Software, to stream to YouTube. Is that what I'm hearing? Somehow we're live everywhere, Matt. I I don't know. I don't believe we're... After the, the PTSD from the Thursday night live stream that never happened on YouTube. I I have to see it to believe it. It says we're live now. It says we're live now on YouTube. And now I'm going to Facebook and it says we're live now on Facebook too. Yeah. We're we're apparently we're live everywhere. We're live everywhere. What I'm understanding about the situation. JJ Zacharyson just texted me about uh, Joshua Kelly. Oh, gonna be undervalued. First bit of analysis Coming from J.J. Zacharyson, it's not even coming from us. Joshua Kelly will be undervalued in rookie drafts. Book it. Why? Because Joshua Kelly is the only running back on the Los Angeles Chargers roster that weighs more than 205 pounds. You can chase an outlier. You can say he's the next Christian McCaffrey, even though Christian McCaffrey was drafted in the top 10 and Austin Eckler was undrafted out of Western State. Sounds like a fake school. A lame 90s sports movie. That was the place that the guy went to college. Western State. Right. Austin Eckler. I like Austin Eckler, the player. I love his workout regimen on Instagram. His girlfriend looks great. She seems really nice. Great personality. And I still can't quite get there with the confidence that he's a true primary back in the league, that he's going to be a bell cow back. I, I, it took me a while to get there with Christian McCaffrey. I had to see it to believe it. I got to see it to believe it with Austin Eckler. Now we have a running back that runs a sub 4-5 with a true all-purpose skill set and the requisite size to be a primary back in the league coming to the Chargers. Local boy. Local. He doesn't have to move. He's just he's like, oh, this is easy. Goes from UCLA to the Chargers. Same city. So local boy stays in the same city with a more robust skill set, especially when factoring in the size. A, a more robust Scott a more robust size-adjusted skill set for Joshua Kelly. I think it's going to be a 60-40 split this year. I think Joshua Kelly is going to cannibalize 40% of the touches. And the 20% that we had ticketed, 20 to 30% ticketed to Justin Jackson, that's gone. Justin Jackson, third third running back. Not sorry, Justin. Not sorry. I'm just surprised we're live. I don't this the lead up to this that nobody saw. It just took forever. Forever. And here we are. So I'm just happy we're live, Matt. Uh, that was a questionable backfield to start with. Joshua Kelly has the athleticism. This was a guy that that you were talking about that we had talked about on the show. Kind of laying low, not surprisingly laying low because he goes in the fourth round here. But yeah, the few depth charts offered an opportunity for a later round selection with early, you know, er, early round or early um, opportunity in an offense. And Austin Eckler wasn't that great of a runner last year. So the pass catching upside obviously stands out, but getting a runner like this from UCLA back-to-back solid seasons, uh, 
Yeah, his stock is way up. This is when the people need us. Did they need us on Thursday night? No, they had Mel Kuyper and Schmeiper and Daniel Jeremiah and everyone else. Mm-hmm. They could have used us last night, but last night we couldn't be live. We couldn't broadcast because that was your wife's birthday. That was a, a blackout oh, date on gosh. the calendar. Just happened to be the most important day for us with people needed our analysis the most. Your wife needed you and your wife comes first. Your wife comes before the minions. Your wife. Oh, oh, oh. More analysis from JJ Zacharyson live. This is why we're live. This is real time in my DMs. He loves McFarland to Pittsburgh. Oh, I love McFarland to Pittsburgh. The analysis was there was funny analysis that, oh, James Conner, look at he sidestepped all the NFL draft landmines. He's the big winner. James Conner's the big winner. Like James Conner is one of the most injury prone running backs in the league. And I don't say that just anecdotally. I say that because we just ran the data. We're about to post it on player profile or all the injury data, injury predictions and fragility ratings. And James Conner's right there at the top. No one was hurt more last year. Just different instances of injuries in the lower body, especially than James Conner. He, it was unbelievable. Our algorithm actually thinks that Conner is more susceptible to an injury than Darius Geis. It's Geis, mm. Gurley, and Conner. Okay, and he wasn't even good last year. And give McFarlane the rock. McFarlane has an eighty percent, an eighty percent, eightieth percentile BMI. Because he's stocky, he's only 5'8". So he's 5'8 with that explosiveness. That explosiveness you wanted to see from Clyde Edwards-Hilaire that he didn't deliver because he's a system running back. He's a system running back that was in a great system in college, and now he's in the best system in the pros. And congratulations, right? Walking on water, right? He's just he's just running pure, right? Clyde Edwards-Hilaire running pure. But you have to, you have to imagine that, hey, McFarlane... This was as good as it gets. If if Kelly had gone to the Steelers, I, I I would lose my mind. I mean, it would be party time because I like Kelly more than I like McFarlane. But McFarlane to the Steelers is a good consolation prize in round four. And so Connor rose up the rankings. It was funny to see Connor rise up the player profiler dynasty rankings for less than 24 hours. Less than 24 hours. Oh, look, Connor. Look, he's moving up. I mean, he's not really moving up. He's moving up nominally, more like other guys around him are moving down, like Devin Singletary moving down, Marlon Mack, Karrion Johnson moving down. Oh, James Conner. Oh, hold on, hold on. You know, it's going to be the one day, like the like the little pop, a little blip. That's what it is. James Conner blip. It was a 24-hour blip for James Conner. Right back down. Same for Jalen Samuels. It's a bummer. I thought Jalen Samuels had a had a... A real chance to be relevant again this year? No. no, Not with McFarlane in town. This is great news for McFarlane, man. He's going to be popping. Well, J- James Conner's rookie contract is up at the end of 2020, and Pittsburgh is pressed on cap space. So it's not a surprise, and James Conner was not an early-round selection. So it's not like Anthony McFarlane is being drafted much later than James Conner was. It's a full round, but... This is an interesting pick. I mean, this is another guy that people were kind of projecting to move up the draft class a bit. And I think the fourth round seems about right for him uh, with the collegiate production that he had in the in the profile. So James Conner, man, we had Sigmund Bloom on the podcast last week. He thought that the Steelers might extend a short contract to Conner, which seems potentially possible. But he's certainly uh, out after 2020 potentially as well. And looking at us on Facebook now. You're still pixelated. You're not. You're not as crisp. The pixels aren't as crisp as as me. I have my own video issues with the image. I have a I have a skylight in my 
in my office and there's certain time this is the exact time of day I can't actually do shows but this was the time we had because of our our families gave us this this window of time but it's right when the sun is beaming in and hitting different parts of my my body so I don't look great my my you know my display could be better your display could be better but our analysis couldn't be better Anthony McFarlane is- runs a 444 and because he, he is above average size in BMI, 107.0, 85th percentile speed score. That's the most predictive metric on the board is speed score. So Anthony McFarlane is immediately a threat to be the primary back in Pittsburgh because James Conner, it was a great story. I mean, the guy survived cancer, right? I hate cancer, and I love football players, right? And And so I really love football players that beat cancer, okay? I get it. I mean... He's a survivor. It's a great story, but great stories don't score fantasy points. Guys that run 4440s with 75th percentile speed scores, they score fantasy points. And so mm. I'd be interested to see McFarland in an offense with Ben Roethlisberger, you know, keeping linebackers honest. I'd be interested in seeing that. It's still the James Conner show for now. Midway point in the season, I think that's when we can start to imagine McFarland in a starting role. So he's going to pop, man. McFarlane's going to pop up the rankings. I'm psyched. I'm so psyched. We're making a big deal out of this fourth round. Fourth rounders rarely do anything. We're making a big deal out of McFarland. We're making a big deal out of Joshua Kelly. I interviewed Joshua Kelly at the Senior Bowl. He is, uh, you know, he's the most down-to-earth, hardworking, super-focused, uh, you know, takes his briefcase to the office every day on time. Gets to the office early with his briefcase, sets up his you know his breakfast right, and uh, you know he and he's ready to go before anyone else. Love that guy. Love Joshua Kelly. Have no idea about Anthony McFarland. He came out early. The nice thing about McFarland is he, he's an early declare. So you love the early declare. You love the explosiveness. You wish he was more productive. Turns out Javon Leak's not that explosive. So to, to lose all those touches to Javon Leak at Maryland is a concern. But it's such a barren depth chart. I mean Benny Snell. Benny Snell is over. It's over for Benny Snell. Pour one out for Jalen Samuels. Jalen Samuels had his chance. James Conner had two years. These guys all had chances, right? What have you done for me lately? You have a chance. You go in there, and you either deliver, you pop off, or you don't. Snell didn't pop off. Samuels didn't pop off. Conner didn't pop off. Let McFarlane pop off. So I think Mm. we're caught up on the fourth round. And Gabriel Davis... To the Buffalo Bills, does that move the needle for you? No, no, nothing in Buffalo moves the needle for me ever. As I said to you before, Matt Kelly, this is Robert Foster 2.0. This is what's happening right now with his draft capital. The breakout finder does not like Gabriel Davis in any way whatsoever. I don't love Gabriel Davis. It's just he's good enough. The prospects that just do good enough, like the Dominator was just good enough. The speed was just good enough. Everything across the board was just good enough. That's why he's best comparable to Zach Pascal, who is the ultimate just good enough cardboard cutout X receiver. This is a cardboard cutout X receiver. He's a complimentary guy. If John Brown goes down, and John Brown has had a lot of lower body injuries, I could see him being a fringe option in DFS that people talk themselves into for any given week, and then he does nothing. This has a very Kelvin Harmon feel to it. Kelvin Harmon, but around earlier. He's very young, though. 21.1. It's solid across the board. I just want that one 
superhero skill, like the Flash, he has the fastest 40 time, right? That's a thing that you can rely on. Like when you're in a scrum with other with bad guys, you know the Flash is going to show up and he's going to be the fastest guy there. You love a superhero that has a signature skill that you can rely on and that it's going to be hard for the coach to pull that guy off the field. With Gabriel Davis, it's like, <sighs> if there's no one else, we'll play Gabriel Davis. I, I, I see that as his future in the NFL. He, there has to be injuries in front of him, and then you're going to see some relevance. Again, it's Zach Pascal. Zach Pascal was starting last year for fantasy football teams. He was a value play in DFS for multiple weeks. The guy put up 10 fantasy points a game last year. He almost broke out. You could almost consider him broken out. He had an 18-point week, a 28-point week, another 18-point week, and a 17-point week. You didn't know that about Zach Pascal, did you? You had no idea. There's going to be a year like that in the Gabriel Davis archives. Where it's like, oh, yeah, look at that. He had 800 yards that one year. Pretty good. Yeah. Didn't quite break out. I see him coming close to the breakout finder's breakout threshold. And then just missing that one season. Just, oh, I was like, oh, Gabriel, so close, so close. We've also had a bad run of UCF wide receivers. We had the Brashad Perriman experiment, not so great. We had the Traquan Smith experience, disappointing. I overdrafted Traquan Smith. That's my bad. That's my bad. Remember the take that if Traquan Smith had gone to Alabama, that he would have been Calvin Ridley? Remember that take? Yeah, nobody forgot these takes, Matt. Hasn't aged well. Has not aged well. It's kind of like the whole, you know, if Rager had gone to Alabama, he'd have been a better version of Jerry Judy. Well, at least Rager went in the first round, right? That's a real take. When Traquan Smith goes in the late third, it, that take doesn't make sense. So and give credit to the NFL for getting UCF players right because we went first round, second round, and now fourth round. So maybe next year, any player that comes out of UCF will be fifth round or undrafted. Uh, this is the round for the metrics heads that focus on the wrong details. The metrics heads that talk themselves into guys that are clearly not special because they pop in a bunch of metrics that, out of context, make these players look good. Antonio Gandy-Golden, number one. Gabriel Davis, number two. The breakout finder's not impressed with these guys, and neither am I. But there's a bunch of... Metrics heads that have models that suggest Gandy Golden's going to break out and Gabriel Davis is going to break out. I do not believe Gandy Golden can supplant Kelvin Harmon on that depth chart. I don't believe he can. I got. I'm just. I got people on on YouTube that are telling us that the uh, the the stream is having issues. I can't help it, guys. This is. Listen, Washington State got hit harder. Go to Facebook. Go to Facebook. Facebook has a better stream interface. It's not our fault that YouTube sucks. YouTube failed us on Thursday night. Well, what's the issue now? What's the issue now? It's probably latency. Listen, guys, my internet is fast. It's not my fault, and it's the weekend. Is it you or me that they're that it's latent? It's probably me, but here's the thing. The internet is going to be slow this period of time in history anyways with everybody on it. And then you have people that go to work, the few that do, Monday through Friday. Well, it's Saturday. So everybody's on their devices and on their phones because nobody talks to anybody face-to-face. -face. So I'm sorry if the stream is lagging. We're trying. I, don't, I can't tell if it's lagging. I'm not watching it. I'm living it. I'm watching it right now. It's absolutely lagging. I, I, I don't know what to say. There's nothing I can say about this. I mean, I, this is all I can do. Yeah, we look terrible. You look terrible. We're lagging on, on YouTube. I can see it. Yeah, it's terrible. I wouldn't watch it on you. I'd go to I'd go to Facebook. Go to Facebook. We're doing better on Facebook.
I am trying to close out as many devices as humanly possible to uh, bump Don't worry the about stream. It. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, man. Don't worry about it. They, let, let them go to Facebook. Fuck them. Go to Facebook. Here's the thing with Facebook. On Facebook, we're not lagging, but you look pixelated. I look great. So that's the difference on Facebook. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. This is fantastic, Dan. So, uh, you know, when you talk about the Buffalo Bills, Matt, because we about this for a second even if there is an injury to john brown with stefan Diggs there all the trade you know capital that was put into that cole beasley the expectation that dawson knox takes a step forward because we both like him the inaccuracy of target share alone for a guy that's waiting on an injury to get an opportunity feels like a player i don't want to invest any capital into whatsoever so no. for me and i'm sure for you gabriel davis is way off the board no not, not interested in gabriel davis i'd rather have a running back in the fourth and fifth round of a dynasty rookie draft anyway. Maybe Marquez Callaway. We're wondering where Marquez Callaway goes. It's officially the Marquez Callaway watch. Oh, God. Feel free to, to, to tweet us, DM us, chat with us on Facebook or YouTube. If and when Marquez Callaway gets drafted, I want to know. Colby Parkinson gets drafted to the Seahawks. That's not moving the needle. Bryson Hopkins to the Rams. That's not moving the needle. And as I mentioned, Antonio Gandy-Golden to Washington, not moving the needle. Pick is in for the Seattle Seahawks. It's DJ Dallas. They got their running back. Miami running back, DJ Dallas. And the reason I like DJ is because he spells it out like CD. Right. It's not D dot J dot, just like it's not C dot D dot. CD spells it out. C-E-E-D-E-E. Well, DJ does the same. It's D-E-E-J-A-Y. And that, to me, makes a big difference. To me, I think DJ has a real chance to make it in this league because of the way he spells his name. If it was just DJ with the with the dots, I wouldn't be into it. That's hard-hitting analysis, Matt, and I love uh The Seahawks' backfield has so many injuries. I mean, he's he will add depth to a backfield that's currently got questions about... I mean, number one, injuries that they've dealt with for the past handful of years. I mean, we're sifting through this backfield year over year. They take a running back in the early or in the late first round, you know, two years ago. Injuries with him. Carson's been hurt. Carson's got fumbling you problems. You can say his name. It's Rashad Penny. And That's I'm fine. not worried about DJ Dallas. In fact, a sneaky winner so far in the draft has been Travis Homer, DJ Dallas's teammate at Miami and DJ Dallas was very much the second banana to Travis Homer in 2018 in Miami so give me mm -hmm. the guy that won the job and commanded the touches in Miami that's Travis Homer that's not DJ Dallas Travis Homer has the explosiveness he has the the production profile at the same school so you get two Miami guys I prefer Homer Homer is the the quintessential under-the-radar winner at running back of the draft. It's Travis Homer and it's Patrick Laird. Those are the two um, under-the-radar running back winners. Wow! Whoa, 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 whoa. Patrick Laird? Patrick Laird. Patrick Laird. Yeah, he, he's, the, he's the passing down back to Jordan Howard. There's no one else that can catch passes out of the backfield in Miami right now. There's nobody that can run the ball in the backfield in Miami. They're upgrading the offensive line and the quarterback. This tells me that they're going to be throwing the ball to the running back 
more than they have been in the past, certainly more than with Caitlyn Balage, right? So I li- I like Laird. I want Laird. Laird's sneaky, man. There's there's plenty of running backs that still could be traded. I'm not again, these guys, I get why you like them, but you're not investing anything heavy into any of these players. And in, in this conversation thus far, because we started in the fourth round. Let's talk about the first round then. Let's talk about the first round. Let's go right to the top. Let's go to our number one player that was drafted in the last three days on our dynasty rankings. You go to the all tab. You see the full list of players, the 101 in rookie drafts. I believe it's mm. Jonathan Taylor. Do you agree? Mm. Because I've heard Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Clyde Edwards Hilaire is the biggest mover on the board. Just looking at lifetime value, no one's moved up more than Clyde Edwards Hilaire. 57.57 slots or of life of lifetime value. Not slots, but lifetime value points. So he's moved up 10 plus slots among running backs, but more importantly, 57.57 lifetime value points because he's going to operate as the primary back in a in a high scoring offense where he is going to maximize his particular skill set. So I'm happy for him, man. I don't think that the difference for these two players side by side is much, if it's any at all, because we expect Jonathan Taylor to exceed Clyde Edwards Hilaire rushing potential by quite a bit. We, you know, behind that offensive line, given the opportunity he should get, we think that Jonathan Taylor could be in that Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, you know, rush attempt category. But the question is, how is he going to be utilized in the passing game? Because we've seen the Colts kind of divide that work up. There was Marlon Mack, and then there was the pass catchers. So him necessarily going to the Colts doesn't change my opinion of how they foresee these players. You still have Naheem Hines there, so he's going to be a threat. They've added receiving weapons. You know, weapons we expect Paris Campbell to get better. They've got Michael Pittman there, which is an exciting addition to that offense. Obviously, you've got uh, Phillip Rivers on a one-year deal right now. I like Jonathan Taylor, of course, in the long run. But I think when you look at Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he's literally playing with an all-star team now. He's got the best quarterback in the league. Andy Reid has turned running backs into uh, all-stars forever. And he's never invested this early in a running back. We've got, had guys go in the second round. We've had numerous guys go in the third round. Namely, we're talking about Brian Westbrook, LaShawn McCoy, Kareem Hunt. And in the 21 years that Andy Reid has been coaching, over 10 of them, I believe, he has targeted his primary running back more than 63 times. He's had at least five running backs get targeted over 100. So I think right off the bat, you have one of the best pass catchers to come out of the draft in a while in Clyde Edwards. And his his pass catching upside alone could be 70 targets. It could be 80 targets. He could be the guy that pushes 100 targets someday. Look out Alvin Kamara. I mean, that's the comp, right? He's a less explosive Alvin Kamara. And that's good. You want a less explosive Alvin Kamara. Who doesn't want that? Right. But Alvin Kamara also doesn't have the benefit of a Tyreek Hill stretching the field and a Travis Kelsey at tight end. So he's got Michael Thomas, which is great. And Drew Brees, one of the best passers of all time. But man, this this Kansas City team has so many, you know, upgraded, talented, moving parts and pieces that Clyde Edwards may have the opportunity to roam free for a while. And he's the guy that if they put him in space and Andy Reid is great at doing this. He could be unstoppable. So I think that there is a definite conversation to be had. And the other reason I love Clyde Edwards is how often is Kansas City going to be standing at the goal line? All year, multiple times a game. How often is Kansas City going to be enjoying a lead in the second half? They need to run the ball. Maybe not as much as the Colts. What? No. Positive game script? 
A lot of positive game script and a lot of red zone opportunities for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. That's what you want. Isn't that what you want? You want targets and touchdowns. That's how you maximize your fantasy point scoring. That's what Alvin Kamara has done the last couple years. He's maxed out the touchdowns, high touchdown rate, and over 100 targets per year. So this is all possible for Clyde Edwards-Alaire, a running back that stands only, only 208 pounds and runs a 4-6. So there we have the difference. He's a smaller, less explosive version of Alvin Kamara. And I remember just two years ago, strong running back class. And do you remember the running back that went in the late first round who was thought to have landed in the best possible situation to be a running back with the most Mm. touchdown opportunities and the guy that had flashed big-time playmaking abilities, splash plays in the the college football playoffs. Do you remember who that guy was? Hit me, I don't. He was a backup running back for the majority of his college career, just like Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He flashed in big moments in big games, so he had the vividness bias from the college football playoffs. He was the final pick in the first round, and there was talk that he might be more valuable in rookie drafts than Saquon Barkley. Do you remember this player? Are we talking about... Uh... We're talking about Sony Michelle. His name was Sony Michelle. I remember the Sony Michelle experience. And if you remember the Sony Michelle experience, oh my God, think about it. There's all those James White targets. And LeGarrett Blunt had an 18 touchdown season not long ago for the New England Patriots. This is a dream scenario for a running back. He goes in the first round at the first round draft capital. He has all the wow factor plays. The the film grinders love them some Sony Michelle. And then what happened? He was just okay. He was just okay. It's just a lesson. You never talk yourself out of the once-a-decade guy that comes along. Now, I know that there's been multiple once-a-decade guys, right? We had Saquon Barkley, and then a couple years later, we have Jonathan Taylor. But Jonathan Taylor is one of the top 10 best running back prospects of all time and one of the top five most prolific college running backs of all time. In fact, through three seasons, no college running back had ever, had ever been as productive as Jonathan Taylor. So, you're going to fade that guy after he posted mind-boggling athleticism? So not only was he the most productive, he was also the most athletic, especially after you size adjust. Now, that guy goes to a team that has the best guard, Quentin Nelson, in the world, right? So the, the best run-blocking asset in the NFL, is on the Colts. So you put that guy with that offensive line, oh my God, right? Oh my God. Now, it could have been better. Jonathan Taylor could have landed in a better situation. He himself could have gone to to Kansas City, right? We left the door open. That's why he dropped a little bit in our lifetime value scale because we had built in this upside. What, What if he goes to Tampa? What if he goes to Kansas City? There were some absolutely tantalizing locations for him to land in. Indianapolis, not one of them, but he also got the draft capital he needed. Yeah. So now that he has the draft capital, oh, baby. Oh, baby. He has a draft capital in the offensive line. He moves down a tick. We moved him down just a tick, just four lifetime value points because he didn't reach his ceiling in the draft. But damn, it was close. And you can't put Clyde Edwards Hilaire over that guy. You'll regret it. You'll look back Mm -hmm. a year from now and, and you'll just slap your forehead going, I overthought it. I overthought it. We had the guy, the quintessential running back, 
the guy that checks all the boxes, the guy that has the highest floor, the highest ceiling, independent of any surrounding forces, it's Jonathan Taylor. And going any other direction is overthinking it. I don't think that it's that big of a gap. I think it's already overthinking it because look at this. So if we talk about Nick Chubb last year, let's say his ceiling is Nick Chubb last year. 16 games he played, 298 rush attempts, and basically 50 targets. So that's a lot of workload right there. And I'm not sure he even sees 50 targets while playing in Indianapolis. Nick Chubb finished four full spots behind Austin Eckler, who ran the ball 132 times. So the pass-catching players in PPR still have immense value, immense value. In fact, Austin Eckler passed Nick Chubb by almost 50 full points in season-long scoring in PPR. So you would rather have Austin Eckler right now than Nick Chubb in Dynasty? No, I wouldn't, but this is a different conversation. Okay, then. What are you talking about? They're the same age. That's not the same argument because we're talking about a player in the Kansas City offense that they went and took – with the earliest pick of any running back in the NFL draft that went to go play with Andy Reid that plays with Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. This is a very, very different argument. Had had he gone, it, let's say a different team won the Super Bowl. Let's say literally any other team had won the Super Bowl and he went there, I would feel completely different than I do seeing him go and play with Andy Reid, Andy Reid in Kansas City because LaShawn McCoy wasn't big. Brian Westbrook wasn't big. Jamal Charles wasn't big. This is a coach correlation trap. Just because those running backs just happen to be successful with Andy Reid standing on the sidelines doesn't mean that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to be successful. You need to build in some fallibility for the front office and the coaching staff. You're making them infallible. You're making this a destiny, that these comps are destiny because they wore the same jersey affiliated with the guy on the sideline with the clipboard. That is always a fallacy. You need to build in the possibility that this is a bust pick by Kansas City, that they picked the wrong running back. They got it wrong. That they were watching film on an LSU offense that was completely wide open because defenses didn't know where to focus their attention. They had way too many weapons to handle. And the running lanes were available to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire that wouldn't have been available had he been on Florida State. That wouldn't have been available if he were on Vanderbilt or even Wisconsin. So it's possible that Kansas City got it wrong with Clyde Edwards. I mean, I think they did. I think they got it wrong on multiple levels. You don't draft a running back in the first round. It's just a bad idea. Maybe you could argue a Saquon Barkley-level talent because he's 228 pounds. He's one of the most athletic running backs we've seen. And he had that 50-plus catch season at Penn State. Okay, okay. You want to draft that guy in the late first round? Fine, 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 fine. That's it. That's it. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't even draft a running back in the second round unless it was Saquon Barkley. So to go with a, a system running back in the late first, that, that's foolish. It's absolutely foolish. And and also, to, to take the guy that's coming off the national championship season in a system that made it impossible for him to fail. If they had gone Cam Akers, that would have been a better pick. In a vacuum, if I need a running back, I want Cam Akers over Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's Lifetime value has been microwaved by the NFL draft. And that's why putting him over Jonathan Taylor would be completely misguided. It would be overthinking it to a level that we haven't seen since a handful of Sony Michelle at the 101 picks that I saw two years ago. Okay, I can appreciate that you've talked long enough that everybody's forgotten my point. But 
That's the tactic. That's the tactic. But it's going to fail because I'm going to bring it all back. The filibuster tactic. Pod follow the filibuster. I use the filibuster in different ways. I use the filibuster for good. If you can't think of an answer, I give you time to think of something. But then I use it for evil where I blot out the sun and people forgot what you even said because it's been so long since you talked last. I know. That's that's the point. I'm trying to make everybody that's listening aware of this tactic that takes place on multiple episodes. But you brought up the fact that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had this benefit of LSU and this offensive line, but you're leaving out the fact that Wisconsin was ranked just barely behind them in offensive line play. Wisconsin's always been known as a team that pushes the defensive line way out of the way. So it's not like Jonathan Taylor was necessarily running through tiny gaps or struggling for his opportunities to run. And to the point of people you know, thinking that CEH is going to be a bust, look, people thought that Kareem Hunt in the third round might not be as good as he was. People thought that Brian Westbrook being a third-round pick probably wasn't going to be as good as he was. Sometimes the perfect landing spot is just the perfect landing spot. And I think that Clyde Edwards-Alaire's upside in this offense is greater overall than Jonathan Taylor's. Had they both gone to different situations, Jonathan Taylor, for me, would be the guy to take over him because the body of work, his you know his feature size. We know that smaller running backs typically don't succeed as easily in the NFL. We want these feature size running backs that can run between the tackles and carry big workloads. But elusiveness is part of the game, and that's part of Andy Reid's game here. And I know you're saying it's Coach, it's coach Corollary, but we have 21 years of Andy Reid coaching to pull from. I heard the same thing about Mark Tressman. The, the, the case for uh, Justin Forsett. Mark Tressman targets the running backs out of the backfield. you got to go with Justin Forsett. Yeah, he runs a 4-6, but he's going to be involved in the passing game just because he's undersized, small, slow, forget about it. Justin Forsett with Mark Tressman. You can't lose with that tactic. And, and then uh, Justin Forsett wasn't heard from again after being drafted in the second round in seasonal leagues. Justin Forsett. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has an average 5.5 yards per carry in that LSU offense, whereas Jonathan Taylor, his yards per carry never dipped below 6.3. It was 6.6, 7.1, and 6.3 last year, and he is the only running back in college football history to have three consecutive 2,000-yard seasons Mm -hmm. to start his college career. We've never seen it. And then he posted a 121.7 99th percentile speed score with upper percentile burst and agility at 226 pounds at the combine. This is a unicorn back, and I understand we've seen two unicorn backs in the last three years. I'm sorry. That's random chance, right? We just happen to have two unicorn backs. They, they you know, fairly close together on the, on the chronological timeline of prospects. Okay. Right. But but that's it. That's it. I mean, he's the best running back prospect since Saquon Barkley and one of the top five running back prospects of all time. If you don't take that guy in a rookie draft, if you pass on him, then you don't deserve to have a dynasty team. There you go. Listen, Matt, you brought up his yards per carry. I've already told you if you've watched Wisconsin play. They push everyone out of the way. It's one of the biggest O-lines in college football. And let me just ask you this question. Clyde Edwards-Alaire plays against the SEC. He plays against the toughest competition week over week in Jonathan Taylor's career. Matt, how did he do versus the SEC? Tell me. He did nothing. He never played one team in the SEC over his whole career. He never faced a team. 
He's never seen one SEC team in his college career. Is that his fault? Wait, so I thought you were going to tell me about this this one game that he played against Auburn where he put no. up you know, 58 yards on 28 carries and totally flamed out, was completely ineffective. No, you, you, you have nothing? You just have, you just have like a, an empty counterfactual? You just said to me that that's Jonathan Taylor's fault. You question it. Oh, was it Clyde Edwards Alaire's fault that he played with Joe Burrow in LSU and Joe Brady schemed up the most incredible passing offense we've ever seen? Is that his fault? No, I'm saying he's riskier. I'm saying the risk quotient on Hilaire is higher, which is why we can't put him ahead of Jonathan Taylor and live with okay. ourselves. You can't look yourself in the mirror in a rookie draft after selecting Clyde Edwards Hilaire over Jonathan Taylor. You should be ashamed of yourself if you do that. Shameful. They're a lot closer than you think, and I already pointed out why guys in PPR put up a lot more points than him. We don't know what his pass-catching ceiling is. How could they be closer? On our dynasty rankings, they're literally adjacent. Jonathan Taylor is 10 overall, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is 13 overall. And if you look at just the running backs, it's Jonathan Taylor at 9, Edwards-Hilaire at 10. How could they be closer, Nate? Let me tell you how you're explaining it. It, it. That's not the way it's coming off, Matt. The way you're explaining is, oh, yeah, Jonathan Taylor, he's way over there. It is because just because they're adjacent in the rankings doesn't mean there's not a significant gap in lifetime value. There's a more than 10-point lifetime value gap between Taylor and Edwards Hilaire. But we have Edwards Hilaire ahead of your, 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 your previously mentioned Nick Chubb. We have Edwards Hilaire ahead of that guy. Sure. You know what we don't have sure. ahead of Nick Chubb? We don't have DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift, he was flat, if not losing a few points after the draft. We have him losing five lifetime value points because he is competing for touches with Kerryon Johnson in year one, and he is on an offense that is not a as prolific as we would like, and this is not a team that's going to project to win a lot of games, so we're looking at negative game script. We're looking at average offensive line play. It may get, it, Hey, listen. They drafted Frank Ragnow a couple of years ago. I mean, this is a an improving offensive line, but it's not one of the best yet. So there are still you, you leave you're left wanting on DeAndre Swift. You'd want a better offensive line. You'd better want you'd want better coaching. You'd want a better offense overall. So because we're left wanting on DeAndre Swift, he falls you know five points, which just moves him down one spot in the rankings below Nick Chubb. It's not a big deal. I still love DeAndre Swift, and it would be difficult. If I'm at the 102, and I'm having to decide between Edward Solaire and Swift, I'm going to swallow everything I have inside me. Well, that didn't sound right. Don't, no, that don't replay wrong. that. Don't replay that, please. Don't. No one copy that and replay it on social media. It's going to be hard for me, man. It's gonna be, I'm going to do it. Because I do the right thing for my dynasty team to accrue value year to year. It's very important. It's why I go running back in the first round predominantly. But it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to go Edward Solaire over Swift, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to hate myself for it. You shouldn't hate yourself for it, Matt. Why? Why? We? I mean, Clyde Edward Solaire, and first off, we talked about this before, too. There's not a massive... Because if I'm an NFL general manager and I'm starting a franchise today, of course I want DeAndre Swift over Clyde Edwards. Fucking Hilaire, man. This guy just happened to win the draft lottery. There's not a lottery hmm. in the NFL, not the NBA, but some of the players have lotteries, and Edward Solaire won his, and that's fine. That's fine. Who's next, though? DeAndre Swift, he loses one spot to Edward Solaire in the rookie rankings, and then the question becomes 
Akers versus Dobbins. Because I believe Akers will be more productive this year because there's far fewer running backs to compete for touches with in Los Angeles. It's just Malcolm Brown and Darrell Henderson. And by drafting Cam Akers on day two, the Rams are telling us what they think ostensibly about Henderson and Brown. They don't think much of them. The problem is it's one of the worst offensive lines in the sport. The offensive line play is so fleeting. That's why I worry about Derrick Henry. Because Todd Gurley goes from enjoying the best run blocking, and then all of a sudden it's, it crumbles all around him, and it's some of the worst last season. So that's the big challenge for Akers, is can he succeed in an offense that is collapsing, where they're running a lot more 12 personnel, they're trying to tighten things up, they're not throwing down the field as much, Goff doesn't have as much time to throw, and that short-circuits their offense in particular. Then, w- without running lanes, the run game's not as effective, so... The offensive line crumbling has this multiplier effect across the entire offense. It's this drag effect on everybody, all the offensive skill position players. So I hate that aspect of the landing spot for Cam Akers, but I love the fact that he has a clear path to 200-plus carries. You love that. So for that reason, we have him ahead of Dobbins, even though I believe in 2021, it's going to be wheels up for Dobbins. Yeah. The, the Dobbins, let's start with the Dobbins topic. So Mark Ingram, truly the only hurdle for him currently in Baltimore. And Mark Ingram has a contract out in 2021. So it's, it's only got $1.3 million a dead cap at that point. So there's a chance that that's when Dobbins really gets his opportunity. And Dobbins fits the role in, in that Baltimore offense. And that that is a loaded offense, as we've talked about. You want to be tethered to these quarterbacks that are mobile. And Lamar Jackson proved that he's certainly elite at the NFL level. Um, Dobbins is also a back that has, you know, 2,000 scrimmage yard season. His final year here in Ohio State uh, had multiple games back to back to back. Uh, I believe it was in 2019 where he had like 31, 36, and 35 carries against Michigan, Penn State, and Wisconsin. I mean, going up against the biggest teams week after week, that was heading into the game versus Clemson. So we know he can shoulder a load um, despite the fact that he is 209 pounds. Again, a lot of these guys that we liked at the top of this class, aside from Jonathan Taylor, are not big running backs. So it's kind of an interesting dichotomy now looking at all these guys, looking at the landing spots, looking at the potential wait time. So Dobbins in Baltimore, his value may be curbed just a touch because of who's in front of him, but I, I'm with you. I think I, I like him more and his opportunity in the future. Cam Akers, though. Cam Akers has played behind bad O-line play for the entirety almost of his entire uh, collegiate career. I think his freshman year was the best offensive line that he played behind in his time there. Um, but going to the Rams is – it's a it's not the it's not the greatest situation, but again, I don't think there's that many hurdles. I think you already talked about this. Malcolm Brown got some opportunities. Todd Gurley wasn't the same player. NFL trade alert, NFL trade alert, NFL trade alert. Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> trade alert! Trade alert! Matt Breda is headed to Miami. Matt Breda becomes the lightning to Jordan Howard's. Go bloated thunder it's the it's the, it's the most underwhelming bloated thunderclap you could possibly imagine the jordan howard thunder but matt breda becomes the lightning breda oh he's gonna get 40 plus percent of the touches 
Love the opportunity to share possibilities in an offense that's investing in all the other facets. Offensive line, boom, boom. Tua, boom. Now Breda, ooh. Great value at running back. Miami does it again. Why give up a draft pick? Why burn, light a draft pick on fire on a running back when you can get a guy that's been proven to be electric for very little in trade? Oh, my. Oh, my. Fifth round pick only. So I think Matt Breda, if he were in the draft, he would be at least a fourth round talent, if not third round talent. The Dolphins, right? They're getting a dollar twenty for their dollar. They're getting a dollar twenty back on their dollar by only giving up a fifth rounder for Matt Breda, who should command the lion's share of the touches. He won't because that's not how NFL teams operate. They don't feed two hundred and two pound satellite back plus backs, especially if they have a Jordan Howard on the roster. Just ask. Duke Johnson, how that worked out vis-a-vis Carlos Hyde last season. But, oh, man. Oh, mm-hmm. man. The Dolphins are also exploring another trade. It was between two running backs. The Dolphins were interested in Matt Breida. They were also interested in another running back that's on the market. Do you, can you guess, Nate? Can you guess who the other running back they were considering acquiring was? The asking price was just too high. It's got to be Leonard Fournette. It was Leonard Fournette! Of course it was. Leonard Fournette also almost went to Miami. Almost. Almost. It would have been great. Leonard Fournette in Miami would have been nice. But Leonard Fournette, he is a sneaky winner. He is a sneaky winner. You have a sneaky winner in Gardner Minshew. Actually, that's a blatant winner. And you have a sneakier winner in Leonard Fournette. Sneaky winner, sneakier winner in Raquel Armstead. Sneakiest winner Mm. in Devine Ogzigbo. Or Devine. I call him Devine. Devine. I don't know. Here's the thing. This this Miami Dolphins team needs running help worse than anybody. Matt, do you know how many carries the lead rusher in Miami had last year? Can you guess? Kalen Balaj? Yes. Kalen Balaj in 12 games. How many carries? 165. 74. Whoa! What? Oh, no, Nate! Skill position alert! Wide receiver has been drafted in round five. The Chargers got their guy. The Chargers got their wide receiver of the future. And oh, here we go. A playmaking special teamer, a guy that can do it all. Uh One of the most robust skill inventories in the draft. One of the most versatile playmakers at the wide receiver position. He has size and athleticism. This was an excellent pick by an L.A. Chargers team that clearly uses Breakout Finder. Can you guess who the L.A. Chargers have selected wide receiver from Virginia? Oh, baby. Are we talking Joe Reed? Joe Reed? Joe Reed is a Charger, as he should be. They have no wide receiver three of consequence. Joe Reed projects to get snaps right away he's going to make the 53-man roster on special teams alone then he's going to leverage that 112.2 94th percentile speed score to win a slot job like he'd be a pumped up slot receiver 6'1 224 hell they could mm. well they don't need a slot receiver they have keenan allen so they're going to move it they, gotta, they just post him up at flanker you keep mike williams in his decoy x receiver role you you push Keenan Allen even further into the slot. Whatever slot rate he had last year, increase it. And then post up Joe Reed out at flanker. Let him run picks. He could just run pick plays all day. Pick off the defensive back assigned to Keenan Allen. That's his job. And then field punts and kickoffs and 
and make an explosive play once. He also has a 126.175th percentile burst score. You love Joe Reed with that fifth round draft capital on a team that has no depth at wide receiver. Mm. Wow, this is uh, this is wild, man. Joe Reed. Uh, now this seems this seems like about the spot we expected him to get drafted with the profile, but certainly a sneaky pick. We're now on high alert for John Hightower. We're now on high alert for Quez Watkins. We're now on high alert for Darnell Mooney. So we have fast, exciting athletes at the wide receiver position that could land in some friendly, target-friendly spots. Woo, baby! Woo, baby! But I don't want to lose focus on these running backs. We're talking about the running back rankings. Yes. And we have J.K. Dobbins just below Cam Akers because we put a premium on upcoming production, current year, current season production. That's where the premium, and that's why you have to have Cam Akers ahead of Dobbins. But next year, oh, look for Dobbins to surpass him because that's the best running game in the league. You have Marshall Yanda and Lamar Jackson. Just give me Yanda and Jackson, and that's the best place to run the football. You want to run because they have the positive game script because of Jackson. Jackson also creates that Alfred Morris corollary for Dobbins in that he's freezing the linebackers. And then you have the, the wide running lanes with one of the better offensive lines in the sport, certainly run blocking. So it's, it's, it's all there for Dobbins to be not merely an RB1 in 2021. It depends on how things shake out. If he thrives in that offense at the end of the season, if somehow Mark Ingram goes down or he just starts to absorb more and more touches as the season goes on. If he ends 2020 on a surge and he is active in the passing game, if he can supplant poor Justice Hill in the passing game in year one, J.K. Dobbins will be on a trajectory to be the number one running back in fantasy in 2021. Mm. That's the type of... That's why I love Dobbins, man. I want Dobbins. I want Akers, too, because the reason why you love Akers is they could improve the offensive line. You can't you can't not draft Akers because the offensive line is going to be bad in 2020. Maybe they invest significantly in the offensive line in the years ahead, and then Akers has a great offensive line in 2021 too. So you, you can't you can't overpay for Dobbins. You just let him slip to you at the 105, 106, 107 in rookie drafts. Just make sure you take him when he slips to you. That's the that's the the marching orders from us. Now who's next in the rookie rankings? Who's after? Dobbins, can you guess? Oh man, if this is if this is based on who's been drafted where, my guess is going to be Keyshawn Vaughn. Oh, it's definitely Keyshawn Vaughn. Keyshawn Vaughn is the second biggest mover. The two biggest movers, easily, without question, Clyde Edwards-Helaire and Keyshawn Vaughn. But Matthew Friedman is on Twitter saying, "Hey, just a reminder, just a quick reminder to everyone: you don't want to draft a 23-year-old third-round running back." over a 21-year-old first-round wide receiver in your rookie draft. Matthew Friedman sent us that reminder on Twitter, and I vehemently disagree. If it's CeeDee Lamb, fine. Understood the long-term potential for CeeDee Lamb to be the number one overall wide receiver. We're talking about the potential for Dobbins to be the number one overall running back. Well, that's the case with Lamb. He could be the next Michael Thomas in that offense. Why not? Why not? You could turn around in a couple of years and see CeeDee Lamb in the top five in Dynasty. With Dak in Dallas, you could see it, especially because Amari Cooper's contract has no guaranteed money after 2021. So a couple of years for 
CeeDee Lamb to get acclimated, ramp himself up, and build his skill set and rapport with Dak Prescott. And then in 2022, could be the number one wide receiver in all of Dynasty, CeeDee Lamb. Because of that long-term potential, the long-term upside, the long game with CeeDee Lamb, you can't take Keyshawn Vaughn over that guy. But once Lamb is off the board, and once the big five running backs are off the board, because sadly there's no longer a Mount Rushmore, Edwards Hilaire crashed our Mount Rushmore. We have to carve out a, a fifth face. I'm so annoyed by this. Okay, can you tell how annoyed I I mean, on the one hand, I'm happy that I, I'm more likely to get Dobbins and Akers and even Swift in rookie drafts. So I'm mm-hmm. happy about that. Like, thank you, Edwards Hilaire. He's displacing backs I prefer or have preferred previously before this awful draft pick by Andy Reid. You are the worst. But, 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 it also pushes Lamb down, and, and I want Lamb. But then once Lamb is off the board, once Lamb is off the board, I'm sorry to say, Matthew Friedman, I'm pushing the button on Keyshawn Vaughn. Tell me why I'm wrong. Mm. Tell you why you're wrong for taking Keyshawn Vaughn over any of these other rookies. Seven overall. Seven overall in rookie drafts. If I'm sitting at seven overall, big five running backs gone. CeeDee Lamb gone. I don't draft Justin Jefferson. I don't draft Denzel Mims. I don't draft Jalen Rager. I don't draft Jerry Judy. I draft Keyshawn Vaughn. Yeah. Here, okay. I I can see this two ways. If if it works out, if Keyshawn Vaughn hits the potential as a relatively early third round pick, which at least for me, and I think for most people, is sort of the cutoff point of drafting running backs that you believe can have success in a starting role. Like the third round is about the end of of an opportunity to jump right in. Well, this Tampa Bay team, you look at what they did in the first round, Tristan Wirfs, add him to this offensive line because you know Tom Brady's making some calls in there. Ali Marpet and Tristan Wirfs. That is going to be one of the best left sides of an offensive line in the sport. The best running games, they have a side, like the Marshall Yanda side, like the Quentin Nelson side, where they stack their best guard and their best tackle, and they just go in that direction, just run in that direction, and the defense can't stop them. That's now what the Buccaneers have. Yep. I'm excited. No, it's it's good. So I, I can see the upside for him in Tampa Bay. The question with this is, is how does Tampa Bay utilize their offense this year? Did they pass about the same? Yeah, they might come down on the passing attempts a little bit. Tom Brady already let it rip more than we've seen him do it for a majority of his career last year. We know that this team, which is, you know, obviously been pass happy, you know, pass happy in the past under Bruce Arians is probably going to maintain that with the wide receivers that they have because it's built around the pass. But even last year, they were number 14 in rushing attempts. So if the passing comes down a little bit with Tom Brady there, that means that the rush attempts should go back up. So with that being said, Keyshawn Vaughn, a player that, you know, while playing at Illinois with Lovey Smith in his sophomore year, totally got shafted. And buried, and when he transfers from Illinois to Vanderbilt, the SEC, he kills it for two straight years. His final year at Vanderbilt, he had over 28 receptions. And people look at him as a true three-down back. So this was quite a slip for a player like this with the profile that he has. Going to a team that's already got one of the most cerebral quarterbacks in the league that clearly still has something left in the tank, that historically is one of the best at utilizing pass-catching running backs out of the backfield. So there's a lot to like here. So I think, to your point, if if Keyshawn Vaughn hits his potential ceiling, then yeah, it's hard to believe that there are many wide receivers you would prefer to him in the long term. But to Friedman's point, 
He isn't that young, so you may be considering sooner than later the idea of making a move to trade him or get younger again. No, no. I care about the rookie contract. I want those four years under control in Tampa with Tom Brady and that offensive line for Keyshawn Vaughn. He is the guy, he's a box-stuffing player, right? Keyshawn, the reason we love Keyshawn Vaughn, the reason why he was our number six running back throughout the process, right? And we had him ranked high. Right, top forty-five running back before the draft, and we were called crazy, like insane. Like we were, we were, we were mocked on Reddit. Like I can't take their ranking seriously. Do you see where they have Keyshawn Vaughn? I read that on Reddit. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck the critics on all the social platforms that don't know what the fuck they're talking about. It's not my fault that you didn't go to the Senior Bowl, okay? It's not my fault you don't have player profiler. It's not my fault you don't fucking know what you're talking about. I do. I do. That's why we had Keyshawn Vaughn higher than anybody. And that's why he's a rocket ship. We just don't have to adjust him as much as everybody else. That's the difference. He's best comparable to Dalvin Cook. What more do you want? He's got the size. He's got the speed. He's got the pass-catching ability. He's got the production profile. And who the fuck cares when he broke out? That's not predictive of running back success. No one cares about breakout age for running backs. It's not a metric that matters. Sorry, Nate. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I think the apex is still a real thing, but the difference is this guy isn't going to have the early mileage on his body. He's not a running back that age 21 came into the league and put two years on himself by the time he became 23. I mean, still older prospect. But nonetheless, Keyshawn Vaughn, I think that there's something to be said. If he hits his potential upside, and again, if he hits his potential upside, I can see the argument. But there were some wide receivers in this class that I think we both like a lot. I like Vaughn. I want Vaughn. I think a lot of people like Vaughn. It's fine. Give me all the Vaughn. And yeah, you, you have him under control for four years where he's going to be an RB2 to start, he's going to get carries. Ronald Jones was the stone-worst pass protector in the league in his second season. It's one thing if a rookie can't pass protect, but if you can't pass protect by your second season, it's not going to happen. Tom Brady's not going to trust that guy. I guarantee, first day of camp, Vaughn is better at pass pro than Ronald Jones. And while I, if I were running a team, that wouldn't be a priority. Who's better in pass pro fucking cares? flare out, catch a pass, you know, shift the line. I mean, have a, have a tight end, uh, you know, stay in the block. I don't want my running back staying in the block. That's just how I would run my offense, but that's not, that's not every team. Some teams, they rely on the running backs for pass pro and it, you can't rely on Ronald Jones, especially when you have a, a statue 42 year old quarterback. You think Tom Brady is going to, going to put up with that? Think Tom Brady wants Ronald Jones back there? No. We have an explosive running back that's better in all phases of the game in Keyshawn Vaughn. Now, with Keyshawn Vaughn there, the guy that might cannibalize the touches won't be Ronald Jones. It'll be Dari Agumbawale because Dari Agumbawale looks like a bigger version of James White. I can see Brady loving Agumbawale. That's why I have Agumbawale in a lot of best ball leagues. I think there's going to be some, some of the, the negative game script games where the, the Buccaneers go down because their pass defense still is vulnerable. And then they have to switch over into pass mode, hurry up offense. Agumba Wale is going to be out there in the hurry up. He's 213. He can pass block better than both Vaughn and Jones. I'm sure of it. 
So he's the guy that Brady's likely going to trust. He's going to be that James White. He was at Wisconsin with a high target share, just like James White. He just happens to be 10 pounds heavier. So I still think Agumbawale is sneaky, and I think Ronald Jones is close to dead. But at wide receiver, Justin Jefferson is now the number two. Any problems with that? Mm-hmm. Any? No, absolutely not. That's where Justin Jefferson should be. Right. Totally I mean, with you. Very little t- – I mean – I mean, <laughs> Olabisi Johnson, really? I mean, that's your comp- – really? I mean, you're going to be a starter in two receiver sets if you can just find a way to supplant Olabisi Johnson, right? I mean, it's going to be on. Mm. I feel bad for Irv Smith because this was not great for Irv Smith. We were hoping maybe Irv Smith could be in a number two receiver role, a de facto number two. That's not going to happen. It's going to be Jefferson. So he he has the talent profile. He's exceeded expectations at every level of football. He now has first-round draft capital with above-average athleticism and a great production profile, headed to a team where he's going to be a starter on day one. It's a perfect fit. He's the argument for not going Vaughn. Like, that's the argument I might listen to, but I wouldn't. I mean, I want running back in the first round of rookie drafts. So the next guy is Rager. Problem with Rager at three. I was going to say, Mac, we, we haven't talked about this on the show. We talked about it on the Zoom live stream. But what a play by Minnesota to use the first-round pick that they got from Buffalo for Stephon Diggs to replace him with a younger guy on a rookie contract. Oh, it was great. That was the theme of the first round was NFL teams backfilling expensive stars that they trade away with very similar players on rookie contracts, like a hot swap. It was just like a pit stop, right? A pit crew, NASCAR pit crew. All right, swap out DeForest Buckner, right? And we'll we'll bring in a guy like Javon Kinlaw. Uh, Similar guys, just one guy is a lot less expensive. Great. Same is true for Jefferson. He's very similar to Diggs. Do you like Rager? I love Rager. I think Rager was one of the other guys that got saved. This is why we're not talking about Jerry Judy right now, because Jalen Rager is one of the players that landed in an opportunity that isn't going to necessarily hold him back in year one or at all. I mean, we'll, we'll get to Judy after this, I'm sure, because he may be the one a- after looking at the draft even more today, which is oh, Saturday. Oh, no, we have an alert. We have a move. <laughs> oh, no. I correct everything I said. Throw it out. Throw it out. Another local boy makes good on day three. Minnesota native. I don't know if he's from Minnesota. He went to college in Minnesota. Tyler Johnson's been drafted by the team we just discussed. Oh. The Minnesota Vikings. The Minnesota Vikings have their number three receiver. Poor Olabisi Johnson. The biggest loser of the draft, other than Tyrell Williams, Olabisi Johnson. No, Tyler Johnson went to Tampa Bay. Oh. Oh, well, Vic Rogers is wrong. Vic Rogers just said he, in the chat, Vic Rogers said he went to Minnesota. No. No, he went to Tampa Bay. It's Tampa Bay. Hold on, do it again. <laughs> Draft alert. We have to edit the fucking show for the podcast now, thanks to Vic Rogers. God damn it. I have to edit the show now. I was gonna just I was just gonna upload it directly. I have to go back and take that out because I sounded like an idiot. Thanks to Vic fucking Rogers on Facebook. <laughs> Not I don't my enthusiasm's gone. Tyler Johnson to Tampa. He's dead. No, that's not that's not the worst spot in the long term. This is bad for Justin Watson, man. Dead. This is bad for Justin Watson. So dead. Let's go back to Jalen Rager. Let's go back to Jalen Rager because we did not talk about Jalen Rager. Of all the guys 
that wide receiver that got drafted, you know, he was one of the guys that has the least competition around him in year one. And, and was drafted obviously highly going in the first round. I mean, I, I think for us, we loved him. We had him ranked highly in, in all of our services. But this is a guy that I think a lot of people still didn't expect to go as high as he did. In fact, I'm pretty sure that uh, – oh, God, now I'm forgetting his name. God, he's a TV broadcaster. I didn't even know who he was till he got drafted. Well, that's ironic because you didn't know who the TV broadcaster was. That is ironic. He's forgettable. That's why, though. It's not ironic. He's just forgettable. But Jalen Rager immediately slots in. His only competition in this offense is an old Deshaun Jackson, a washed-out Sean Jeffrey. This offensive line's getting better. Maybe the future is Jalen Rager and Jalen Hurts. I like Tyler Johnson. He's a clasher. He may run a 4-7, but I like him. I like him. I like Tyler Johnson going to the Buccaneers. They, they don't have much depth behind the big two. Watson and Scotty Miller are not proven. So it's up in the air who the number three is going to be. And it's, could very well be Tyler Johnson. I like Tyler Johnson. The hope for Justin Watson, I mean, because we're always looking for the silver lining for Justin Watson, is that because of COVID-19 and the, the, the lack of training camp, that Tyler Johnson may have a redshirt season in the NFL, and it will give Justin Watson a chance to establish a foothold. It's not the best landing spot, but here we are anyways, nonetheless. So with Judy, this is where... The Buzzers will always find issues. They thought the, the Keyshawn Vaughn was an issue, and then, then it t- didn't turn out to be an issue. We're going to have Mims ahead of Judy, and I'm not sorry. Yeah. Anything, Nate? Anything on that? That's a big deal. What I just said is, 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 is a pretty seismic announcement, and you had nothing. Matt, because I was giving you uh, – that, that's called creating drama, Matt. That's what I was doing was letting it breathe for a minute uh dramatic pause it was it was so this was a team that already had some weapons to start with they had Cortland sutton the clear alpha they added melvin gordon in the offseason they had noah fant a tight end that was drafted in the first round that there was expectations that he himself was going to take a step forward in 2020 so there were already numerous weapons in this offense. And I'm not a big fan of, of Deshaun Hamilton, but that was another player that was in this offense, a name circulating. Bye, Deshaun. Bye. The Denver Broncos go and add Jerry Judy, and they go and add KJ Hamler, and then they go and add Albert O. It's confusing. I mean, they're clearly trying to put weapons around Drew Locke, but this was a team that last year was 27 in pass attempts. They already had a guy that was their alpha wide receiver. Cortland Sutton saw 124 targets last season. So they're not one of the most pass-happy offenses in the league. And I've heard people say, well, Joe Flacco started the year. Well, based on averages, Drew Locke was passing as many times per game as Joe Flacco was. So there was no turn-up of volume, per se. So what the question is, what is the upside? Because we like Jerry Judy as a talent, but what is his real upside year-to-year in target share? I mean, it could be a lot lower then had he gone, I mean, it will be a lot lower than had he gone literally anywhere else. He could have gone anywhere else. But he ended up here, and it's an unfortunate situation because Cortland Sutton is still, you know, he's just a few years in on the rookie contract. So I don't I don't know what to say other than I don't think it's unfair to state what you stated, which is Denzel Mims, who goes to the Jets, who sent Robbie Anderson away in free agency. They didn't reach him. They had no help for Sam Darnold. There was nothing. So Denzel Mims is the guy. His target share in his first season could be 50, 60 more targets 
than Jerry Judy in year one. Why won't he lead all rookies in targets in year one? Explain this to me. What's stopping Denzel Mims from being the number one fantasy wide receiver from this class in 2020? There's there's nothing. I mean, in all honesty, honesty, and that's not even that's not gimmicky or anything. It's just nothing because there there was nobody. There's nobody in that offense. Nobody. So he's stepping right in as a second round pick, stepping right into opportunity. It's Mims on the outside and Crowder on the inside. It's perfect. I love the talent configuration, and it's the perfect quarterback for Mims. You need a gunslinger that's unafraid to throw the ball to the outside, to throw the ball back shoulder, throw the ball into traffic, to trust that your wide receiver is going to go up and get it. Because that's Denzel Mims' specialty. It's contested catches. It's acrobatic sideline maneuvers. And Sam Darnold is a fearless gunslinger. I mean, he will throw the ball into traffic. He does not have to see the ball and see the route open before he actually lets it go, right? He doesn't have to see throws before he makes them. A lot of quarterbacks do. So most of the places that Denzel Mims could have landed would have hindered his development, but not New York, not Sam Darnold. I think these guys are going to be best friends, and this is my favorite quarterback-wide receiver pairing of the entire draft. Will you go ahead and just correct me when I say that guys go in the wrong round? I just told you Denzel Mims went in the first round as I'm spouting off information and obviously he goes in the second round. Come on, man. You're, you're not even active listening to the show anymore. Dude, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm everywhere. This is challenging. Normally we sit down, we do a show, and it's just you and I in our studios. A lot more going on here. It help me keep help me keep track of myself. Oh, Denzel Mims didn't slide, by the way. I love how I say, oh, Denzel Mims sliding. Oh, the Denzel Mims slide. When's the Denzel Mims slide going to be over? He went in the second round. He was drafted before DK Metcalf went off the board last year. The fuck are you talking about? He is the DK Metcalf of this draft. Big deal. Some teams that could have had DK Metcalf went JJ or Sega Whiteside. And those teams fucked up, right? You have teams that they could have had Denzel Mims. They went Van Jefferson. Fucked up. It happens. Teams fuck up in the draft. That doesn't mean that Denzel Mims experienced this epic fall, this uh, this catastrophic slide. Like, someone had to be the backstop, and it just happened to be the Jets. Oh, my God. Stop the fall. Like, it's the second round, man. It's plenty of draft capital to be hugely relevant in year one. God, Mims is going to be a monster on the Jets. I was so happy with that landing. If I mentioned that, I was so happy. And Judy is officially a rookie wide receiver five. You're okay with that? Judy's five at wide receiver. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, I, you can make an argument for all these guys. Yes, I think so, because I made this argument on the live show and very few people were able to get in. Can you not mention that again? You keep mentioning gonna mention the it. Thursday night show that was a debacle. It was a live stream debacle. It was a disaster. We're streaming on both Facebook and YouTube simultaneously right now. We're doing a great job, and this is going to be a podcast. So we went from an incredible waste of time. a flame out on Thursday, but people had fun. We had 100 patrons cycling through that Zoom meeting, having a great time. I ate an edible. Ryan was pounding Trulies <laughs> to get through edible. it. Oh, my God. Because the Raiders took a third rounder in the first round. Someone we had to look up. Some cornerback we couldn't even had no reference point for. And then they took rugs over Lamb. There was a, some problems for, for, for Ryan on Thursday night. But it was great. The patrons showed up in droves. We had uh, celebrity guests 
Ray Garvin, Rich Rebar show up. It was great. So I guess the point that I'm trying to make when you talk about Judy being behind Mims, I'm I'm fine with it. Here's the argument for anybody that wants to go, that's crazy. That's insane that he would do that. Look, think about the rarity of two wide receivers that are both supposed to be wide receiver ones or top wide receivers, Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. Think about the rarity of a quarterback supporting two highly productive wide receivers. Now, zoom back even further. Now picture Drew Locke playing quarterback. Now tell me how Drew Locke is is going to be these two players relevant in an offense that ranked number 27 in pass attempts last year that has Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay and Noah Fant and Albert O and Deshaun Hamilton and KJ Hamler. And I haven't even said Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy yet. So it makes total sense why Denzel Mims as the de facto wide receiver one on the Jets going early enough in the second round, going in the second round at all is all that matters. By the way, good job, Seattle. He goes in the second round and his his value should be way up. He's a he's a stellar athlete. On the breakout finder, his breakout rating was a 22.7 before before you factor in fantastic draft capital. So for him to be ranked ahead of Jerry Judy's not crazy. Look, this is just how it happens. This is the risk of the NFL draft for these players. And we knew coming into it, we said this on so many shows, this is the draft that is going to kill incumbents values. This is going to be the draft. We knew every one of these guys was going to land in different positions. Be careful. I was criticized for taking the 111 in a super flex over Michael Gallup. Now you'd much prefer the 111 rookie pick to Michael Gallup. Here's an here's an interesting question. I watched Gallup go up for a first minutes before the draft started, by the oh! way. Amazing. Oh, brutal. That's that's brutal. But here's a question for you, Matt, because we're gonna get to him and keep this on your brain. Michael Pittman or Jerry Michael Judy? Gallup. Wait, how do we how do I turn the volume up? Michael Gallup for a first rounder. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. Whoever did that should be ashamed of themselves. But think about this. This illustrates the point even more, Matt. Just the question I asked. Michael Pittman or Jerry Judy? I mean, think about that. Jerry Judy, but it's not crazy to go Pittman. Pittman's a riser. We actually have T. Higgins rising faster and further than Michael Pittman. I mean, Michael Pittman went two picks outside the first round to the Colts. Who we we like Paris Campbell, we like his upside, but Michael Pittman got the 34 pick in the NFL draft. Had had good sizes, showed out, had you know, there. So this is a guy that people should be high on as well. But back to the point, Jerry Judy is going to fall quite a bit in rankings, and it's not wrong. It's not wrong. It's not wrong. Maybe we need to move Pittman up more. But I still think there's target competition there in T.Y. Hilton. There's target competition in Paris Campbell. I don't love Michael Pittman, the prospect. I think that he is very much a second-tier prospect and was overdrafted, just like Dante Pettis was overdrafted two years ago. So I'm not going to run out to best-case scenario Michael Pittman. I'm also not enamored with the Colts' offense long-term. I think it's a run-first team with Jonathan Williams. Not Jonathan Williams. (laughs) Imagine they had Jonathan Williams last year. Jonathan Taylor this year, baby. Oh, my gosh. So even even with a run-first offense with Jonathan Williams, even then, right? You don't know who the quarterback's going to be in 2021. You have no idea who the quarterback is. So I'm not – I'm we're looking a little bit – we do focus on this year, but I'm still – because T.Y. Hilton's there, I don't think Michael Pittman is going to be super productive this year. And I don't know what Michael Pittman's sure. going to be longer term either because I don't know what the situation is going to look like. So Michael Pittman gets a five-point bump. In lifetime value, which I think is fine. Maybe we, maybe it's not enough. Maybe we should go back and relook at that. 
But compare that to T. Higgins, who now has the option. We're talking about long-term for CeeDee Lamb, tethered to Dak Prescott. T. Higgins with Joe Burrow, a quarterback that's unafraid to throw the outside, it's unafraid to throw in traffic, it's unafraid to throw his wide receiver open. If you're a clasher like T. Higgins on the outside, like Denzel Mims, you want a Joe Burrow, you want a Sam Darnold at quarterback. So I love that pairing. In fact, we moved Higgins up above rugs for that reason. Love the fit so much, and I love the long-term potential of T. Higgins. you got to move him ahead of rugs. Hey, Matt, can I throw you an alley-oop? You, you want the alley-oop right here? Explain to me, me what the value is. Here you go. Here, what, what is the value of a full, a full group of hours later that the Cincinnati Bengals show up to draft day on day two? They've had all night to talk and think about their draft, and they come in with pick 33, the first pick of the second round. They could trade. They could have any number of wide receivers. They show up on day two, and they go, we want T. Higgins. What does that mean? It means they love them. There was a case for Ian Thomas a couple years ago because he was the first pick in the fourth round. The Carolina Panthers had all day to move that pick, and they had a bunch of calls. A lot of people were asking for that pick, and they said, no, we're pushing the button on Ian Thomas. That helps me feel better and more confident about Ian Thomas as the primary tight end in Carolina. And I feel very good about T. Higgins in Cincinnati. It throttles John Ross, and the big loser from – Last night, the biggest loser is Tyler Boyd. It's bad for Tyler Boyd because we, we had Tyler Boyd higher than consensus. We were a Tyler Boyd shop. We like Tyler Boyd. But if you're a Bayesian, you can't love Tyler Boyd after seeing the Bengals go T. Higgins at pick 33. Mm. Can't do it. Yeah, I mean, it, you're not wrong. It's it's interesting. This is a t- I, you know I don't know what happens with all these players in this offense as the evolution of it takes place, but I know for a fact that them taking T. Higgins one pick outside of the first round means everything. I mean, we love Denzel Mims and we love the athletic profile. And I think we liked Michael Pittman plenty. We like LaVisca Chanel. You look at him in the breakout finder. He's up there. Didn't like Chase Claypool. Um, we liked a multitude of these wide receivers. And they had every choice in the second round with the first pick. And they took T. Higgins. I think that means the world. So, yeah, I think... Tyler Boyd uh, should be worried, and I think that means that the wheels are definitely up on T. Higgins, a player that we weren't super happy with his athletic profile after he did his pro day numbers, but his speed score, 73rd percentile, as you made mention, was great. He played at Clemson, which I know you don't like the logo on the helmet, but he, he played well at Clemson. Right. But also a benefit of having hyper talent around him as well. But I don't think that's a knock. This is a guy that's winning off of nuance as well. So and T Higgins for not being a super athlete, 93rd percentile college yards per reception. Let that sink in. Let's be clear. I still don't love T Higgins. In fact, I think T Higgins is going to be that displacer, the great displacer at wide receiver. He's the Clyde Edwards Hilaire of wide receivers. Because T. Higgins went to the Bengals, and he went to Clemson, had that paw on his helmet, Clemson Tiger, T. Higgins, because of that, I'm going to get more Mims. Because of that, I'm going to get more Jefferson. And I'm fine with it. Makes me very happy. I'll take it. Might even get more Rager. Oh, yeah, baby. Rager. And, oh, quarterback alert. Oh, no. (laughs) The Buffalo Bills have their quarterback of the future, Jake Fromm. It took a long time. It took, it took a long time. Salutations, yeah. Jake Fromm. 
Oh, I, I, if if I were him, I'd change my middle name to Sincerely. Get it? You get it? You get it? Yeah. You get so, Matt, can we can we move on here? You get it. Chenault versus Pittman. Who you got? I mean, Pittman. Uh, Pittman doesn't have any competition. I mean, really, uh, we like Paris Campbell. Again, I go back to that. We like Paris Campbell. We don't know that Paris Campbell's a hit at the NFL level yet. And T.Y. Hilton's 30 years old. They may not have their quarterback of the future, but neither do the Jaguars. It's the ultimate floor versus upside play. Pittman surpasses Chenault. Chenault's still the upside play. Pittman's still the floor play. But the floor is really overwhelming Chenault's upside because now Chenault's on the Jaguars and the upside isn't isn't as great. It's nice that he could easily slot in as the number two. So there's not target competition in Jacksonville beyond DJ Chark. So he gained some value getting the draft capital. We weren't sure if he was gonna how far he was gonna slide. If if he was gonna slide, he didn't slide. Just second round draft pick, perfect. Exactly what you want if you're Chenault. And you go to a place you can play right away. And he's not redundant in any way with DJ Chark. DJ Chark is an outside receiver. I see Chenault being one of these power flankers in the league where he runs the the intermediate route tree, but also runs the gadget plays. So he stays tight to the line of scrimmage with DJ Chark on the outside. I love that. I love Chenault paired with Chark. So Chark doesn't move down as much as Cortland Sutton, for example. There's also bust risk. Like It is a boom-bust pick, LaVisca Chenault, the ultimate boom-bust pick, whereas Pittman is much more solid, and you have these guys for their careers in Dynasty, so I, I got to go Pittman as well. Sure. Ayuk versus Brian Edwards. Who you got? Ayukin, Ayukin, Ayukin. Street Fighter, you know, you get it, right? Yeah, it's a Hadouken. No, I know. I, I, I grew up. Um, yeah, no, we get it. Ayukin, Ayuk, I think is going to end up being a much better, a much better NFL player than he is fantasy asset. I like San Francisco. I like the creativity there in the offense. We like Debo Samuel. We like George Kittle. Um, I just don't know that Ayuk has the profile that I'm looking for in the type of wide receiver that is a hit at the next level, especially being a Juco transfer. Uh, if you go and, and look at his number in the breakout finder, he was just under the you know 20% breakout threshold, but he's got first round draft capital. So the opportunity is going to be there, but he's more of that dynamic kick return, punt return, put his ball, you know, put the ball in his hands, playmaker. And I'm not sure that that's the player that I prefer in the long run, Matt. I don't know what your thoughts are on Ayuk, but I, I think he's limited as a big-time fantasy gamer. It's very close. Ayuk's a big riser because he has the first-round draft capital. This isn't second round. No, no, no. This is first-round draft capital. And he projects to start right away for a team that knows how to use slot flanker players like Brandon Ayuk. Brian Edwards goes into a scrum with rugs and with Lynn Bowden and Tyrell Williams and Hunter Henry and Darren Waller on an offense led by either Derek Carr or Marcus Mariota. Derek Carr is a quiet winner in 2QB and Superflex. I'm also stashing as much Mariota in 2QB and Superflex as possible given all these new weapons. I think Mariota could be this year's Tannehill, which would be ironic on a lot of levels. Edwards is just, he's just a, it's 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 so close. He's he's just below Ayuk. It, it's razor close. But I would I prefer Ayuk. I prefer Ayuk because I think that he's much more likely to accrue value in year one, and then you can trade him. But Brian Edwards' longer term is a better bet. I'm with you.
But it's, it's a similar reason why we have Akers just ahead of Dobbins. Very similar rationale why we have Ayuk just ahead of Edwards. But I love Edwards. And the fact that he got drafted in the third round, he didn't slip to the fourth and fifth round, which is where the yep. drafters thought he yep. would slip to. Great sign. I just don't love it on the Raiders. But if he's healthy, it's a pretty clear path to targets. Yeah, there's no, there's not necessarily redundant play there. I mean, and this is a team that their top receiver last year, I think was the wide receiver 47 in fantasy. So there's a lot of, of opportunity overall for him, especially as a third round pick. I mean, he went in the middle of the third round. He was literally one pick after his teammate, Lynn Bowden, another guy that was a breakout finder, darling. But Brian Edwards checked all the big time metrics. I mean, the breakout age was insane. The college dominator was insane. So he has the big time metrics that we like. His, he, as you've said before, he's a black box prospect. You know, we don't know. We don't know the athleticism. The, the athleticism was decent, though. I've gotten DMs from people that claim to know something. Um, they said that he ran like a like a four five two four five five. So. The athleticism is probably there. If Brian Edwards ends up being a smash at the NFL level, nobody's going to be surprised at all. But I think you have to play a little guarded based on the information that we had going into it and the information that we have now. And we're looking at this offense going forward. We don't know what Lynn Bowden's role is per se, how they plan to use him. What do you think about Bowden? I think Bowden's a big winner. Bowden going in the third round validates everything. With Ruggs and Bowden and especially Edwards, you have to believe that someone in the Raiders organization has the breakout finder installed in their phone. That's what I was going to say, man. If it, this is this is a perfect example. If if I made this tweet yesterday, I quote tweeted somebody and said, "Yeah, Mike Mayock messaged me and asked me, you know, how he could make, you know, he could find late hits in his rookie draft." And I'm like, "Well, here you go. You grab the breakout finder and you find Lynn Bowden, you find Brian Edwards sitting there in the third round and you pick them because they're good. They're great football players." Yeah, he's going to be just a jack of all trades there. I mean, they're going to give him just a player that can literally do everything. I mean, literally can do everything. So I like his upside in that offense. Is he ever going to be an incredibly relevant fantasy player? I don't know. I don't know if the Raiders are going to be able to prop up a multitude of guys, especially what's the role of Henry Ruggs. I think it's more defined now as these guys have been drafted. I think he's definitely going to play more of a stretch type role rather than the all around Tyree kill kind of usage that some people had speculated. I think it's a little more tempered than that. I think they're going to use his speed a lot more frequently. And that's why you draft a guy that highly, but with Lynn Bowden there with Brian Edwards there, you know, they've got Hunter uh, Renfro there already. And he had a role. Um, and, and then Jacobs, hopefully out of the backfield, getting more targets. I think they, the Raiders have a lot of weapons, but I question in terms of fantasy, how much I like any of them. The Raiders had the worst first round, and you could argue the best third round. It's hard to have a better third round than getting Bowden and Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards' number one breakout rating on the breakout finder. The Raiders totally redeemed themselves. Not mm. totally. Slow down. It wasn't totally. The, the catastrophe that was their first round it, it will, will echo for years. Damon Arnett at 19 over Caleb on chase on was over Kenneth Murray, <laughs> over Patrick Queen. No, 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 inexcusable. And if I were the, the Raiders, knowing that you who you could have had in the third round, and they knew it was on the board. If you look at the mock draft data, Bowden and Edwards were supposed to go late third or fourth round. So if you like those guys, what the fuck are you doing taking Henry Ruggs? 
I would go Tristan Wirfs. If I were an NFL GM, I would just I would load up on blue chip offensive linemen because they're the hardest asset to replace in the NFL after you know franchise quarterbacks who can throw with anticipation and have po- and have pocket awareness. I mean, a pocket awareness quarter a, a quarterback that can throw into tight windows accurately with anticipation and pocket awareness is the hardest skill set to find in the NFL. But these mammoth 350-pound left tackles with elite athleticism, they're the second hardest asset to find. That's why if I were an NFL GM, I would have been targeting Werfs. But if they were just going on need, the Raiders should have gone Javon Kinlaw. If you you reset their draft and you have them selecting Kinlaw at 12, right, and let's say best cornerback available based on mock draft data, Jeff Gladney, right? So if they got Kinlaw and Gladney in the first round and, and then Edwards and Bowden in the third round, you'd be saying they had one of the best drafts. But instead, it's like super underwhelming. Thank God they saved it in the third round, not fully saved it, partially saved it in the third round. Speaking of the third round, I'll get you out of here. we got to close it out, wrapping it up with these third-round running backs. We had some third-round running backs, and none of them really impressed with their landing position and their situation moving forward. Mm -hmm. So the third round was unfortunate. I mean, outside of Keyshawn Vaughn, of course. We talked about him already. But the the non-Keyshawn Vaughn third-round running backs underwhelmed. First and foremost, Antonio Gibson. Antonio Gibson goes to a team where he's now going to be a wide receiver. They need wide receiver in Washington. They don't need running back. They have Geis and Peterson and Barber and Love. They don't need running back. They need inside wide receiver help, right? They need slot guys. That's their biggest need. That's what, I mean, if you look at team needs around the league, Washington's need for a slot receiver with any kind of upside to replace Trey Quinn is one of the most glaring needs. And that's why it's sad that we now have to project Antonio Gibson to play wide receiver at the next level. So that landing position was particularly devastating because it nukes his value. As a wide receiver, you're not interested in Antonio Gibson, right? If I want a wild card wide receiver with super athletic, next Julian Edelman position switch upside, I go Bowden. I don't go Antonio Gibson. Yep. No, that's not going to happen. Yep. Ugh, you hate it. You hate, you hate, you hate, you hate, you hate Gibson. To Washington. What did you think of Darrington Evans to the Titans? Mm. Mm. You know, this is this is a really interesting one right here because we we were talking about Evans a lot and mostly projecting that he would be a, a third round option. And something that hasn't been brought up nearly enough is that Derrick Henry signed a one year contract. You know, this is a guy that's only two hundred and three pounds, so he's not a big guy. On his college profile, his greatest season at Appalachian State was 255 rush attempts. It was a good season, but this is a guy that's a good athlete, but not a sizable running back. So I think that that may go against the overall identity in Tennessee, but as a long-term asset in Tennessee, you know there may be a, like a, a light use role for him. But I believe that Tennessee is going to do something in the future, whether it's extend Derrick Henry, look for another running back. You love the third round draft capital. You hate the landing position. You hate the system. You hate everything, right? You just it's it's awful. This is not a team that wants to spread it out and get the ball to their running back in space. Like it's the opposite of Kansas City in many ways, where you, it's really focused on 
on bringing all the pieces inside and pounding the run. You you want you have you have AJ Brown inside. You have Jonu Smith down the seam. It's very much a between the hashes offense. You just ask Corey Davis. <laughs> He's the only one on the outside yeah. going, "Hey guys, uh, I'm outside the hashes. Uh, hello, hello." And then so a satellite back just doesn't have a big role in Tennessee. Doesn't have a major role. Just ask Dion Lewis. So you hate the landing spot. You love the draft capital. Darrington Evans falling in our rankings because of this. The interesting one is Zach Moss because yeah, I was never a Devin Singletary enthusiast. I think he's overrated. I think that he benefited from random chance and some positive outcomes that can't be replicated. So he's unsustainable. And I think that that's some of what Zach Moss enjoyed at Utah. I think you saw some unsustainability from Zach Moss, especially sustaining it into the next level, right? You talk about running backs that played all four years, ground, you know, grinding it out. Well, Keyshawn Vaughn had to transfer. So there, there's with Keyshawn Vaughn, with, with Brandon Ayuk, there's some rationale for why they were seniors coming out. There's not a good reason why. You can't point to any reason why Zach Moss didn't come out a year prior, why the NFL wasn't saying, hey, Zach, you should, you should declare. Because he's not that good. Because he's just a guy. But Devin Singletary is very much just a guy. Right? I mean, and by I say just a guy, I mean not just a guy, just a guy, but kind of just a guy. Like, not replacement level, but these are these are guys. They're guys. They're, they're not great. They're not great. And what's interesting was, just based on the projections for touches and fantasy points, you know, in the long run... The way we calculate the lifetime value, the the drop in fantasy point projection for Devin Singletary and, and, and how the lifetime value actually mapped out, it was very similar to the rise you saw from Zach Moss. Because we didn't believe in Zach Moss at all, but going to Buffalo that has a strong running game with a mobile quarterback and very little target and, and, and touch competition in the backfield, I like the landing spot for Zach Moss. I think he's a winner. Only has to compete with Devin Singletary, who's overrated. But you have two overrated players cannibalizing each other. Right? Just sit back. I don't have any Singletary. I don't have any Zach Moss anywhere. I don't have a stake in this whatsoever. I could just sit back with my popcorn and watch them compete. Watch them battle. Position battle. Go. I feel like I've been screaming that. He also forced the most missed tackles on 38% of his rushes in 2019. That was the most of any running back with over 150 carries. So he was elusive. He was running through contact. If I am Devin Singletary, this is the last guy that I want to have in the backfield competing with me when we're sort of on an equal value in draft capital. And Zach Moss is a third-round pick. 100% puts him in line for an opportunity to be the guy in Buffalo with a mobile quarterback, with a team that ran the ball close to as most as any team did in the league in 2019. They're number six in rushing attempts. And obviously there's some John, John, you know, uh, some Allen in there, but I just think that he landed in such a decent spot in terms of what his competition is that we could really see an actual big year in terms of opportunity for Zach Moss, Zach Moss, Spider-Man meme. That's the show. We, we have the show name. We finally found it. There you go. Grinder on grinder crime in Buffalo. Watch the battle unfold. The ultimate overrated running back Spider-Man meme.
grinder on grinder crime in Buffalo. Watch the battle unfold. The ultimate overrated running back Spider-Man meme. Good show, Nate. Ugh. Your connection was really poor at the end. You garbled like crazy on Facebook, so I apologize to all the Facebookers out there. And uh, Andy Kazmarkic insisting that uh, Antonio Gibson was announced as a running back. Uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. They have guys. How he's going to be used is as a wide receiver or he's not going to be on the field. So we're just explaining how he can even be relevant at all, and that's as a wide receiver. But I'm glad that you heard that he was announced as a, as a running back, and, and, and the Washington says they're going to use him as a running back. I don't care. The Steelers announced Chase Claypool as a wide receiver. Is he a wide receiver long-term? No. Does he have a future as wide receiver in the NFL? No. They need to move him to tight end. That's what I'm explaining to you. I'm giving you tomorrow's newspaper. You don't need to tell me how he was announced. That doesn't matter. I don't care what the team says, how they're going to use him. That doesn't matter. All these teams do is lie. And if you're listening to press conferences, trying to find actionable information, you're doing it wrong. But thank you, Andy. I'm dead, bro. I'm legit dead. The reason we love Keyshawn Vaughn, the reason why he was our number six running back throughout the process, right? And we had him ranked high, right? Top 45 running back before the draft. And we were called crazy, like insane. Like we were, we were, we were mocked on Reddit. Like I can't take their ranking seriously. Do you see where they have Keyshawn Vaughn? I read that on Reddit. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck the critics on all the social platforms that don't know what the fuck they're talking about. It's not my fault that you didn't go to the Senior Bowl, okay? It's not my fault you don't have Player Profiler. It's not my fault you don't fucking know what you're talking about. I do. I do. That's why we had Keyshawn Vaughn higher than anybody. And that's why he's a rocket ship. We just don't have to adjust him as much as everybody else. That's the difference. He's best comparable to Dalvin Cook. What more do you want? He's got the size. He's got the speed. He's got the pass-catching ability. He's got the production profile. And who the fuck cares when he broke out? That's not predictive of running back success. No one cares about breakout age for running backs. It's not a metric that matters. You are the worst. I'm legit dead.